I'm Lenny Picker of Publishers Weekly, and today I'm speaking with Carter Wilson, whose new thriller, Mr. Tender's Girl, is being published by Sourcebooks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Carter, would you start us off by reading a short selection from your book? Sure. Nighttime. Paranoia is also the reason I keep no knives in my house, which makes for practical concerns. My diet at home consists of things I eat with a fork and a spoon, and even when I want a slice of butter on my bread, I reach for an individually wrapped packet, the kind you find in restaurants, spread it with a fork. It sounds mad, I know. If somebody wanted to hurt me, they wouldn't need to use a knife. On my dining room table alone are things that could maim or kill. Fork in the eye, ceramic plates smashed over the skull, wine glass broke into a fractured stem, sliced across the carotid artery. You might even argue that if somebody wanted to stab me, why would they bother relying on my knife? Surely they would bring their own. I tell you these are all reasonable points, but I don't have to rationalize my horrors to you. I pour another glass of Merlot. The chicken on my plate is tender, and the tines of my fork slide easily into the spongy flesh. I've developed a friendship with the Hannaford Market Butcher, and he always cuts my meat and poultry at the counter for me. His name is Jesus, and he's never asked why I make this request. I plan on giving Jesus a nice tip at Christmas time. I drop the fork, my appetite not reaching critical mass. The wall clock reads just past eight, and my stomach tightens at the thought of the coming night. Music from the little Bose player fills the room, but I hear the silence behind it, the vacuum that grows like a cancer as it draws closer to bedtime. In bed, the weight of the night will sit on my chest until it threatens to crush me altogether. Sometimes I wish it would. Sometimes I fall asleep with that thought in my head, a wish for death, and there's a kind of dark peace to it all, like a shipwreck victim floating gently to the bottom of the ocean floor. Dinner over, dishes done. My 112-year-old compact colonial house is now as clean as it was an hour ago, things back where they should be, not a fiber or dust boat in sight. I straighten a picture on my wall that probably isn't even crooked, a photo I took of London a decade and a half ago, street scene at night, a couple on the sidewalk holding hands and looking into a dimly lit storefront. I was with my father that evening just after he'd given me the camera for my birthday. It was the first photo I'd taken with it. I was 13. I miss England sometimes, the smell of London, the aroma of time, moisture, and car exhaust all swirl together in a blend only big cities can produce. But mostly, I try not to think of the place I grew up. I almost died there when I was 14. Thanks, Carter. So, without spoiling the book's many scary moments and clever twists, could you tell us who's speaking there and why she has such an aversion to knives? Sure. That's that's the protagonist, Alice Hill. Uh, she's 28 years old, and when she was 14, she was stabbed nearly to death by um, two uh, classmates who were essentially making um, or trying to make a sacrifice to a graphic novel character named Mr. Tender. Um, and the crux of it is that Mr. Tender was this wildly popular graphic novel character that was actually created by Alice's own father. So... The whole book takes place 14 years later where she's just kind of – she's changed her name and she's trying to um, live a, a peaceful and anonymous life but obviously still has the horrors of what happened to her. Um, so hence her uh, aversion to knives. So what happened to Alice has obvious parallels with the notorious Slenderman case. But for our listeners who either haven't heard of it or just have a vague sense of what was involved there, could you just give a brief summary of that case? Sure, I will. Although, ironically, I don't know a whole lot about it because uh, 
while this book was inspired by that, um, I read the article about the Slenderman case when it came out. In fact, I didn't even make it all the way through the article and I stopped reading and I just knew that my book was going to be about this. So I haven't followed anything about it since. But um, it took place in, um, I believe it was Wisconsin back in um, 2014, where a 12-year-old girl was stabbed by two classmates um, out of a tribute to this Slenderman graphic novel character, which is a real graphic novel character. Um, and she, when I was reading the article, when I realized that she survived, that's what hit me was, wow, what is that person, what does she look like as an adult? And that's when I stopped reading the article because I knew that's what my book was going to be about. And Carter, uh, in reading some interviews with you that I found, um, I believe, and uh, forgive me if I'm not getting this exactly right, but sort of a reference to the way you approach writing fiction is sort of a seat-of-the-pants approach a little bit, that I think in one occasion you compared yourself to the creators of the TV series Lost, where there was this incredible setup in the pilot, but they weren't entirely sure where things were going to go. And in this book, it is so carefully constructed. I mean, the character development is great as well, but in terms of the way the pieces fit together and how at the end uh, a reader can look back and, and reread the book from a different perspective and see where you've put some clues in plain sight, was this also sort of a seat-of-the-pants uh, effort? Yeah, this was a very seat-of-the-pants effort where – you know, I kind of knew the setup. I, I certainly didn't know who or what or why, um, but I knew the initial setup. And I just spent the first hundred pages just throwing things at Alice that came to me just to see what, how she would deal with it. Um, but yeah, so I didn't even know the ending until I was very close to the ending. And then, of course, it, that kind of writing, you know, necessitates a lot of rewrites. So I had to go back and layer things in. Um, but yes, it was very much a, a, a seat of the pants effort. And was this a harder book to write than your other novels? Um, no, I don't think so, because... I, I found myself very uh, attached to Alice's voice, um, so I really enjoyed writing from her perspective, and it, it, it came fairly easy to me. I think some of the plot threads took a little time to work out to make sure everything did kind of fit together, as you, as you noted, but her voice in particular flowed fairly naturally for me on this one. And I apologize for not being familiar with your other works. Have you done first-person narration from the perspective of a female character before? No, I've done third person. Uh, my my uh, third book, The Comfort of Black, was third person female. But this was the first time I did first person, present tense, very kind of intimate voice, um, female perspective. And was there something different about that for you? Yeah, I mean, I tried not to overthink it too much. Um, you know, I try to approach it as, you know, it's not necessarily just a woman who I'm writing, but it's a, it's, you know, I wanted to a perspective of a victim, somebody who went through this horrible event, how would they react to different things, kind of almost regardless of, of their gender? Um, so I, I try not to put too much effort into like, you know, oh, this definitely doesn't sound like a woman or this sounds too much like a man. Um, and then, yeah, I've had – I have – Great feedback from my agent, who's a woman, and my girlfriend, who's one of the first to read my manuscripts. So, you know, that definitely helps as well. In terms of selecting the, the name of your lead, there's sort of a passing reference in the book at one point to Through the Looking Glass. And I'm wondering in selecting Alice's name, whether Lewis Carroll's Alice was, you know, somewhere somewhere in your consciousness. 
Yeah, I mean, not not actively in my conscious. I wanted consciousness. I wanted to have a. I wanted a very kind of simple names, uh, British names. Uh, that was important to me, and and I've always liked the name Alice and. You know, about halfway through the book, it would come. I started. I started to have that same realization. I'm like, oh, there's a parallel here, but it wasn't uh, um, cognizantly done. And you referred to sort of choosing simple British names. I mean, one of the sort of superficial ways in which this story differs from the real life Slenderman case is that Alice is living in Manchester, New Hampshire, but the crime happened to her when she was a teenager in England. And I'm wondering what setting the crime in England enabled you to do the storyline that you might not have been able to do if everything happened on this side of the pond? Yeah, that's a great question. I liked the idea. There was something creepy about it being in a park in London. Um, and, and, um, Perhaps there was uh, more of a, a Lewis Carroll reference there than I than I realized, um, and and there was something about her being able to physically escape across an ocean that gave her this sense of I'm safe now. Um, there was that that represented some kind of barrier. And I like the fact that she wasn't safe, that it didn't matter how far away that she went, this this could follow her um, anywhere. And one of the most moving sections for me was in Chapter 9, where Alice is sort of thinking back uh, about her father. And she's either realizing or remembering that one of the things that they both had in common was wanting a life without a past, which obviously in her case is understandable given the trauma. Uh, is that something that you've ever felt or wished for? No, fortunately, I can <laughs> I can say that I've I've had a very uh, uh, normal past, and I've, I've I've appreciated everything that I've been through. So um, uh, that would that was having to kind of sink my mind into her character a little bit to to get into that place. And is her hope that she can have the impossibility of like as if there was no past, and as if all these things that had happened to her just never happened? Would you say that's her biggest weakness? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not knowing how to live in the moment. So that's Alice's biggest struggle is that, that her past is just so heavily attached to her that she can't separate it from it, from herself, from it, and just, you know, free her mind. Um, and that's kind of what happens in the book is like, she's forced to face her past in very real ways. But the idea of maybe by doing so, there can be a bit of a breakthrough, which is kind of how it culminates at the end, is that there's almost this freedom attached to the suffering um, that she needs to go through. And one of the things that uh, I, I very much enjoyed about the book, because again, it's it's not simply just a well-plotted, suspenseful thriller that's the sort of thing you want to read at one go, but you know the characters are, are well-developed and thought through with Alice being sort of the central one, obviously, but you know, what you've done with her is she's the survivor of a violent crime, but she's not a saint. She's not a perpetual victim. She's not helpless. You show her internal scars uh, that go along with the physical scars she received when she was stabbed by the twins. What sort of research did you do to try to get into the mind of someone who went through experiences that uh, were not ones that you yourself had gone through? Yeah, I mean, it was difficult, um, but it's, it's, you know, if you start researching, uh, you know, in fact, in particular, I found one website where people were asked to describe in one sentence what a panic attack feels like. And if you read hundreds of these sentences, 
they are haunting and they are so succinct and they are so powerful. And you start to, you see the patterns emerge of the hopelessness and, and the physical feel of being crushed and your, your heart stopping. Um, that was very powerful for me to read those, those first person perspectives of, of going through kind of what Alice tries to avoid on a daily basis. And I mean, that experience that Alice had is, is one that you've thankfully have not. But are there parts of you in Alice that you recognize either in retrospect or that, you know, these were parts of yourself that you wanted to put into the character to sort of mix things up a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I I try to avoid, you know, a lot of my characters I do, I can very clearly point to, oh, that's me and that's me. Um, but because I was writing from the perspective of a 28-year-old female, I wanted to try to avoid that as much as possible because I didn't want, you know, my my voice to bleed through into Alice so much. Um, so sure, we all have you know, longings and we all have senses of, you know, a lost past. Um, but there was nothing really major that carried over from my life into Alice's. Okay. So I guess that sort of leads into the next thing I was sort of curious about, because in addition to the portrayal of, of Alice is not, you know, sort of a, I guess what they used to call movie of the week to sort of date myself a little bit, but sort of, you know, you know, a put upon helpless damsel in distress who has to be rescued. I mean, in addition to what you did with her, her relationship with her sibling, with her mother, um, you know, even although we only get a glimpse of it, the relationship between uh, the father of the twin girls who tried to kill her and, and, and uh, all of that. So the way that the interactions between parents and children was handled was very, very enhancing to to the enjoyment and engagement with the characters and the plot. So whereas you didn't have the experience that, that Alice had and you don't have the experience of panic attacks, uh, were there things about family dynamics uh, that you experienced or learned from that you were able to use to make the relationships as, as plausible sounding as they were? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Alice's family is pretty messed up, so I'm 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 fortunate that that I don't have um, a s- similar um, background to her. But I can say that the relationships with the father. My father passed away a number of years ago, um, and I had a tremendous relationship with him. And, and you know, that always I feel kind of I, I'm always striving to have that come out in a character. And I would say even more importantly, there's a whole section in there about how Alice's father used to read them or used to actually create uh, bedtime stories for them um, on the spot called Chancellor, you know, about a world called Chancellor's Kingdom. That's taken directly from what I used to do with my kids. Um, you know, every night at bedtime, we would just have this continuing saga about um, my kids in this other world trying to find their way home. And it was often very dark and often they were in great peril. Um, but they loved every minute of it. And I wanted to reflect that a lot in the story as well. And I guess those bedtime stories would have given you another opportunity for sort of seat of the pants storytelling and just sort of making it up as you go along and hopefully remembering the details from a few nights before. Right. (laughs) You also do work as a photographer. Is there a way in which um, photography helps you write fiction or influences the choices that you make? Um, I, you know, I, I'm very visual when I write, I, you know, I, I picture most of my scenes almost if I were directing the scene on a set. Um, so having that visual element in my mind is, uh, is, you know, 
the the perspective where am i looking what's on the what's on the wall in the background um you know what's the lighting like that's very important for me to set that in my mind even if it doesn't all necessarily come through in, in every word that i write and again, since I'm not familiar yet anyway with with your prior books, are there shared themes in your fiction that you would identify? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's you know paranoia and desperation are huge themes for me. Um, I really like the protagonist being unsettled for almost all of all of all of the book they and most of my books deal with somewhat ordinary people finding themselves in very extraordinary circumstances um i like flawed characters i like my heroes to fail quite a bit because i think that's realistic and that's what i wanted to do with alice i wanted alice to be physically strong have a degree of confidence but be completely emotionally vulnerable to to balance all of that so she's really kind of just walking that knife's edge so to speak you know all the time and given that characterization has hitchcock been an influence at all for you oh yeah i mean it's hard not to not to 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 watch a lot of hitchcock movies and not have that bleed into your writing um for sure um certainly on the the paranoia side of things i mean hitchcock handled paranoia very well and i think i think nothing propels a story forward more than um an unreliable narrator who's just completely not knowing what's going to happen next and again i i'm always very spoiler adverse because i like readers to experience the book as much as possible the way I did, but um, I don't think it's giving very much away to say that there is a website uh, in the world of the book devoted to um, what happened to Alice to the crime, and this obviously has parallels in the real world. What do you, how do you understand that phenomenon of sort of these online crime websites, which in some cases are actually sort of fan sites for very brutal killers? Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm fascinated with the idea that there is no concept of anonymity anymore, um, and you can change your name, you can go into hiding. Um, there will there will always be eyes on you, or the potential for eyes on you. Um, and I, you know, honestly didn't research much about okay, is kind of victim fascination a very big thing or not? I just like the idea that Alice finds out that it is. And it's actually interesting in, in the case of this book, I developed that that website. So the reader can actually go to that website that's in the book and there's a password associated with it because there's a password that she has to use to get in. And then you can start to experience what she discovers as Alice, uh, you know, bulletin boards um, and, and artwork and things like that. So there's kind of that, that added experience for the reader. And were you doing that solely for the reader or was it something that as you were writing you found sort of useful to sort of play with so that it would sort of be a bit of reality in this fictional world that you could – sort of play with and just sort of figure out how she'd interact with it. Yeah, I like the idea. Well, it was actually driven by the fact that if I put a URL in my book, I just hated the idea that somebody would go to that URL and there'd be nothing there. It just, that bo- that idea bothered me so much. I'm like, okay, I have to put something in here. And then as I started to develop it, it just became a fun project. Like, wow, this is an extra level of creepy if somebody just wants to go see if this website's a real thing or not. Um, so that became kind of the, the driving force behind it for me. So for your readers, both new ones and ones who've been with you for prior books, is there anything you can share about what you're working on next? 
I'm working on a book. You know, all my books are standalone thrillers, and and I'm kind of I'm very fascinated by the concept of memory and lost memories and maybe um, repressed memories. And I'm I'm working on a book about lost memories and how a group a small group of people have the same experience and they can't understand why they are all missing the same memories um so that's about the most i can say about it but it's yeah it's definitely um it's definitely a creepy psychological thriller uh thank you carter and thank you listeners uh the book again is carter wilson's mr tender's girl from source books and please join us again soon for the next lit cast thank you so much <laughs>